You're with Sean Jung and Where the Veil Grows Thin, an exploration of the sacred moments of our human experience in life and death, joy and sorrow, birth and end of life. It's the unscripted instant when the heart opens, the face-to-face moments with the divine. Hi, welcome back. It is a Wednesday night, the night the Threshold Chorus practices at the hospital. We are singing by the fireplace that is just off the elevators on acute care when a man is wheeled by on a bed coming off the service elevators, apparently being admitted through the emergency room. He appears unconscious and is being followed by a woman in a wheelchair with an oxygen tank, being pushed by another much younger woman. I see them. I watch them as they pass by us. The next morning, I arrive for chaplain rounds at the hospital. I check with the charge nurse for important details about each patient's condition and their reason for being there, as well as her opinion about who might want or need a visit from someone on the spiritual care team. She makes several suggestions, and I head down the hall. One man, she mentioned, had been admitted through the ER the night before. An elderly gentleman described as a stroke victim who was being kept comfortable and not expected to live. Later, as I came to his room, his nurse is just coming out. I introduce myself, and he says he has just finished giving him a bath. I ask about the family, and I'm told that the adult daughter, who had spent the night with her dad, had gone home to check on her mom, who was in a wheelchair and on oxygen. He said that she'd left about an hour before, and I think to myself that surely she will return soon. The patient's name is Ron, and he is in my favorite room of the hospital. It's a large room on the southwest corner of the top floor. The south and west walls have huge windows with a beautiful fireplace in the corner between the two. The fireplace is on, The room looks out over Red Mountain to the south and the Flat Tops Wilderness to the west. The entire valley is shrouded in clouds, and looking west, the Flat Tops are completely hidden under a blanket of low, white clouds. It has been raining all morning, and the ethereal beauty of what I am seeing strikes me as heavenly. The room is peaceful, It feels cool and fresh, light and clear. Ron is lying under a sheet with a blanket folded neatly across the foot of the bed. He is not conscious. He is not wearing oxygen. There are no IV poles or machines. I stand beside his bed, which is still raised high from his bath. I watch him for a few moments, and then I lean over and gently touch his head. I tell him my name and that I am there just to sit with him for a while. My words are irrelevant. They are words at a time when silence is perhaps what is most needed. 
Just the day before, I had been listening to a talk given by Frank Ostaseski on being present with those who are dying. And this quote from his talk pops into my head. Not knowing is most intimate. Stay present, stay very close to the situation, and find a moment of rest in the middle of things. It is mid-morning and the windows allow me to watch the mountain storm that now holds the promise of sun. The clouds appear to be lined with silver light. There is no anxiety, no hurry, no fear, no uncertainty. Only the moment that we are in. Ron is dying, and I have never felt more alive. Moving to the foot of the bed, I very gently cup his ankles in my palms. I watch his breath. He is breathing rapidly. His mouth is open. His eyes are slightly parted, but not seeing. He's been bathed. His mouth has been cleaned and moistened. His room is clean and empty of any signs of anything. There are no food trays, no bedding, or towels wadded up in a corner. Even the whiteboard has only his name and his nurse's name. His bed is neatly made and the top sheet folded back. Although his breath is rapid and shallow, I don't sense struggle, just merely a body slowly shutting down and letting go. My breathing is easy with long, slow, deliberate inhales and slow, complete exhales. I see myself in this room, one of my favorites, standing at the foot of the bed, holding this man's ankles, just simply supporting his feet from beneath him. I lower his feet and cover them again with the sheet. There is beautiful music coming from the speaker in the remote control that rests on the pillow by his head, but it feels too loud, so I lower the volume, thinking that there is no need for loudness about anything right now. Pulling a chair to the side of the bed, I lower the bed and then the railing, and I sit very close. I gently take his hand, letting it rest on top of mine. His breathing is still rapid, and he is a bit flushed in the face. I lean in close. I place one hand on his heart, and I whisper very quietly, It's okay, Ron. Everything's okay. You're doing a fine job. You just take your time. You're not alone. I know they'll come, and then you'll know it's okay to release and surrender. And only the love will remain. The love that has come to you will go with you, and the love you have given will stay in the hearts of all those who have received it. I am aware of times when this might have been a trespass, but I feel no uncertainty that what I have spoken is true. I am also just as certain that he is the gentleman who was wheeled past us last night, the one flanked and followed by two women, his wife and his daughter, the ones who have gone home to rest and shower and then return. My hand rests 
still and unmoving under his, just gently reassuring him of a presence, hopefully not interfering with the work he is doing. His breathing begins to deepen and slow. He takes air in, holds it, and then releases it with a quivering slowness. A small pool of tears gathers in the corner of each eye. I look away out to the sky. The trees are glowing in golden yellow splendor. The clouds are moving and swirling with an outline of silver from the sun. I marvel at the sight and I breathe a sigh of gratitude for my life and for this glorious moment. I send Ron's family love, suddenly feeling as though they will not be here when he moves across the veil. Quietly, I start to hum and then sing songs from the threshold chorus. I'm not ashamed at the sound of my voice. It is my gift for him. I make up words that fit, and I can't tell you now what they were, but I remember singing about angels and the presence of the divine. The words much less important than the vibration of sound and the intention of love. His breathing slows, then slows some more, and then it stops. His hand is still on mine, and I do not take my eyes off his face, waiting for one more breath that does not come. A minute passes and then another. Ron is wearing a do-not-resuscitate bracelet on his arm. His dying is not unexpected. There is no need for me to do anything in those first moments. I watch as the color drains from his face, and as his whole face softens, I reach up and gently close his eyes. Another minute passes, and I press the call button for his nurse. When I look up at the clock, I see that I have been there, undisturbed, for over an hour and a half. Another minute passes, and his nurse appears, and I say quietly in a whisper so as not to disturb anything, I think he is gone. His last breath was three or four minutes ago. So the nurse listens with his stethoscope, and there is no heartbeat. He says he needs to go notify the charge nurse and asks if I will be all right. I smile and assure him that I am fine and that I will stay with Ron. I ask him please to shut the door on his way out, and when the door is shut, I exhale a deep sigh and cry for just the briefest moment, feeling so overwhelmed by the presence of something divine in the room and knowing that I have just been given a great and sacred gift. I know nothing of this man. His face seems kind to me. He has hands that remind me of my grandfather, large and gnarly and well cared for. I do not know anything, but I trust that my words and my singing were appropriate. A few minutes after the nurse left, a man about my age comes in with tears in his eyes. He introduces himself to me as the son-in-law. 
I touched his arm and said, I'm so sorry. But he is not looking at me. His eyes are fixed on Ron. He is crying, but trying so hard not to. I ask if he would like some time alone with Ron, and he says yes. And then he looks at me and thanks me for being there. I leave him, silently shutting the door behind me. The door that now has a white rose on the outside of it, which is our message to the world that someone has just died in that room. I offer the story of this experience because it touched me and because there is an assumption that those of us who chaplain in hospice and in hospitals all know death, that we have all been with the dying as they die, that we have all held the hand that drains of life and have all closed the eyes that continue to stare. But this assumption is wrong. The experience of being alongside and alone with one who is dying is so profound and so beautiful and so filled with the sacred that it can hardly be described. But neither should it be feared. When I whispered to Ron that I knew they'd come and that he'd then know it was okay to release and surrender, I was not speaking about his family. I was speaking about the legion of angels that I believe come to companion the ones who die as they cross that thin veil between this world and the next. Witnessing life moving through and out is more profound to me than witnessing a baby's birth. There's something so beautiful about the mystery surrounding death. Something so beautiful about the unknown. I know not everyone shares my sense of comfort with death, and I know not all death is like the one I just shared. But in sharing these experiences, maybe I can help some people feel a little less afraid of it and a little more interested in befriending it or a little more comfortable in at least talking about it. I am happy and grateful I was able to be with Ron in his dying. I imagine he and I are now somehow connected, that I will one day know him somewhere else. Even in so brief an encounter, when it comes at such an intimate time, I have all kinds of imaginings about those we meet only at that particular crossroad. And someday I will know. But until that day, this is Sean Jung. Thank you for listening. A huge and special thank you to those of you who have gone to the trouble of accessing the website seanjung.com to buy me coffee to support these podcasts continuing. And I hope you'll join me again where the veil grows then. Blessings to us all as we continue this living.